Welcome to No Compromise, where faith and reason fuse in conversation. Hello, Johnny. Hello, my love. Hello, everyone. Uh, so, John, you've been working on your Paradise Lost transcript book. Right. You're taking the transcripts from your Christian Atheist Paradise Lost series. Right. Putting it in a book form, and then you're going to try to present it to church groups. Because it makes a good study guide on on the nature of evil. Right. And I think churches should be more clued in Mm -hmm. to the Western tradition of Christianity. Right. And I think this is a very good way to sort of dive into that and at the same time get more conversant with the Bible, what the Bible says about it. Yeah, exactly. Because it is very close to a mirror of the Bible, right. and yet, at the same time, does the sort of imaginative thinking that mm-hmm. someone like C.S. Lewis also did in thinking about these things, which right. I think is very valuable. Right. And also, this past Monday, you posted the first part of your interview with Paul S. Young. Right. The podcaster who presents, What Do You Mean God Speaks? Right, right. And you interviewed him right. rather than being interviewed. It was, a, it was a good interview. I thought it went well. Mm-hmm. And I cannot too highly recommend that our listeners go and listen to Paul's podcast, What Do You Mean God Speaks? Right, you can put the links, you'll have the links in the description. Yeah, we'll put a link in the description. Okay, so last week you and I discussed The Day Boy and the Night Girl, the romance of Photogen and Nectaris. Right. It was a fairy tale written by George MacDonald in 1879 as a series, and then he published it as a book in 1882. And you have a link to that in the description as well. Right. And we definitely would encourage our listeners to read it for themselves, mm-hmm. or if that fails, we've read it for you. Right. You can listen to John reading it on, I would go to the YouTube link because it's not on the podcast yet. Right. You won't be posting it on the podcast for about another month or two, but the whole thing is, is posted in YouTube. So last week, after we ended our initial episode, I had some disagreements with you over what we talked about, (laughs) especially that you were mean to me. (laughs) We we had a lengthy conversation shutting down the podcast in the midst of it, Mm -hmm. and uh, you made some really important points, I think, that I was missing a whole level of what was going on in The Day Boy and the Night Girl. And you didn't entirely convince me on everything, but you certainly made it clear to me that I was, in fact, missing some important levels of this text. And so I'm excited for you today to share. Yeah, I don't think you were missing it. I think we both were coming at it at different... That's true. I think that's what it is. As we came towards the end of the podcast, actually, and I just finished editing it to post it, so we just posted it today (laughs) as we record this one. We did sort of come to a mutual understanding at the end that it was all about the complementarity. But I do think you're right that I was missing something. And you made a point to me that didn't show up on the podcast Mm -hmm. that had anyone else made to me would have hurt me deeply. But coming from you, it didn't because our relationship is such that as we've talked about in the process of doing Paradise Lost... The complementarity between us allows me to be weak without feeling the stab of that so that I can actually see the weakness, work towards overcoming it, but also recognize that my weaknesses are often complemented by your strengths and that recognizing that is actually a strength of its own. So you said something to me, and I didn't tell you I was going to say this, but you said Mm. to me 
that I had become a feminized man. <laughs> and <laughs> that's not supposed to go on here. <laughs> and you're right to the extent that as I have come through the academic world over the past, what, 57 years of my life? 56? You're 56. Okay. And you weren't in academia when you were No, I was born. not in academia when I was <laughs> But born. I wouldn't be surprised if you were. But, but I did travel through the academic realm starting from kindergarten forward. And that pathway was suffused with so much of the world's thinking and the Hegelian thinking that it was almost inevitable, and we've said this about churches, so why shouldn't it be true about me too? that this Hegelian thinking has suffused our thinking to such an extent that we often don't even recognize how we're thinking in the Hegelian manner. And you pointed that out to me, and I said, holy cow, you're right. You're absolutely right. But you didn't say that to me. I think I did say it. I agreed with you. I said, oh, I think you're right. I think I have. Oh, well, if I didn't then, I'm saying it now. You didn't say it loud enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm think I, I think I'm saying it loud enough now that you can hear me. You, so it would have been almost impossible for me to have lived my life in that environment and not to have sucked up some of it unconsciously. And I think you're absolutely right in pointing that out. And I guess one of the things that made it incredibly poignant to me is that our daughter came home and talked about one of the, the girly boys at work that <laughs> that said something about manliness. and Online, uh, on a social media account. Yeah, and it sounded funny to me because I thought, you know, wow, man up. Mm -hmm. And then I realized after you said that to me, sometimes it's not quite that easy. Mm -hmm. Because it's not that you're not trying to be a man. Mm -hmm. It's that you don't even understand how anymore. Mm -hmm. Because we've lost so much of the structure right. and of you have to male be, virtue. You have, to, you have to walk on eggshells. Yeah. In you today's know? culture, yeah. You have to as a man. And it's like you have to try to figure out, am I, am I going to get... Well, what was it? There was somebody who was applying for a job. I forget what state it was in. And he addressed the women as ladies. Oh, that's right. Do you remember that? Yes, we just and heard that this week. Yeah, they said that that was a microaggression and they disregarded him for the position. Right. Immediately. For calling two women mm -hmm. ladies. The women were the ones that were on the committee right. to interview him and everything. And just for, I think he emailed them right. and called them ladies. Called them ladies. It upset them so much. <laughs> and he was disregarded for the job. Yeah, and you lost your chance at the job. Right. And I've had that's similar I mean. situations yeah, in my I mean. academic career I'm where I've, I've not gotten positions mm -hmm. for exactly reasons like that. Right. And in my reviews for my current teaching position, mm -hmm. I've had similar attacks right. on my credibility as an academic right. because I dared express things contrary to the academic orthodoxy of the day. Right. right. So, so it's very pervasive. I was just kidding when I said you were being mean to me last week. I know that. <laughs> You're if, never if I mean. were truly mean to you, I would grovel on the floor and kiss yeah. your feet. <laughs> You're never mean. <laughs> okay, so this week I just have some things I want to say. And then you just tell me what you think about it. Go okay. Ahead. I'm looking forward to today a lot for that reason. First, however, 
I have something I want to say to our listeners. Oh, yeah. That's about important. a podcast that you must listen to. And I mean, if you need to stop listening to this one right now and go listen to James Lindsay's it, podcast we, on New Discourse. It'll be in, you have the, the link in the description. Yeah, we'll put the maybe, link in the description. Maybe it'll be on the very top. How's that sound? That sounds good. Mm -hmm. So go to James Lindsay's podcast called New Discourses and listen to The Negation of the Real. It is almost two hours long, but James Lindsay in this podcast says what I have been trying to say very clearly, very simply over the last three years in our podcast. And the message is far more important than our podcasting. The ministry and what God has to say is far more important. The message is more important than us. So I want everyone, and I wish everyone in the entire country would listen to this podcast by James Lindsay, mm -hmm. because he makes the points I've been trying to make mm -hmm. so clear and so powerfully. You must listen to this podcast by James Lindsay. Again, it is called The Negation of the Real. Please, please, folks, listen to this podcast. Yep, and go to the description, and the link will be in the description. Yes. Unless you forget to put it in there. <laughs> <laughs> and so now to the day boy and the night girl, mm -hmm. and I think we'll be done with it after today's mm -hmm. podcast. We will be. I feel that the story of each of the children is much more parallel than what we originally discussed last week. Right. I was pointing out an imbalance between the two. Mm -hmm. and but you, you were made, right, too. Mm -hmm. You were right. But you made the case that there is a parallelism here that I was missing, and I think you're yeah. right. And if, if the listener doesn't come to the story with the usual good versus evil, dark versus light, like that notion, as we said that last week, if you don't come to it like that, you'll see a lot more. Yes. Yeah, you'll see a lot more. Yeah, approach it with the notion of complementarity right. between Photogen and Nick Terrace. It feels more like a, an expose, I want to say, on science. It a, is certainly that. Would you call it an expose? Right. I can't I, think what the word would be. I think that McDonald, like Milton, mm -hmm. was looking at science. I was just going to say that. As though it mm -hmm. is a potentially dangerously misleading yeah. way of approaching the world. Well, we said that with Paradise Lost, that was like, all of a sudden there was going to be a boom in science at that time, or there was a boom in science at that time. It was, And then Milton said, let's take people back to the beginning, you right. know. Let's lay the context out mm -hmm. and recognize that there are good means and bad means right. to pursue knowledge. Yeah. So it makes me wonder what was science like in McDonald's day? You know, what did he see around him? And so, like, Milton, like we said, brings everybody back to the beginning, to in the beginning, God. Mm -hmm. So, with McDonald, I wonder if he saw the ideas of Darwin spreading and causing scientists to start viewing man not as a unique creation in the image of God. That is fascinating. Yeah. Very interesting, because, because that, that would pick that up on my big... Hegelian notions yeah. of Darwin's theory. Yeah, and he saw the danger of that. Right. Maybe as something that was now able, like man was something now able to be experimented on and thrown away. He was seeing this, or maybe he was thinking about 
progress, what's going to happen with these ideas when man is not a unique image of God? Right. So you can experiment on him, you can throw him away. And I was wondering maybe if the wolf in Watho is that spirit of Darwin that was taking over science and probably entering the church even. Yeah. Where man is not important anymore. It's, he's just a cog in the machine. Right. Well, we actually might even make the point mm-hmm. that it's not specifically the biological theorem of evolution, mm-hmm. as Lewis would have said, but the more pervasive underlying theorem that everything that happens is good, right? The evolutionary theory in the sense that everything is getting better naturally, which is just mm-hmm. Hegel. Right. right? In traditional fairy tales, a wolf represents greed, okay, an intruder in the home, mm-hmm. and a threat to humans, the idea of evolution. The idea is an intruder in the church, and it is a threat to humans. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if that's what he was seeing. There, it was definitely at that time very big. There is a sense in which even the biological theory of evolution can be considered the reduction of the human to simply the natural, right? The wolf. Right. We're no better than any of the rest of creation. Right. We're no different. That's the point. I'm not saying... And that is dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And he would have looked around and seen that because it was all new at that time. And it was entering the church. and, And then he writes this story about a witch who has a wolf in her who conducts an experiment without any regard to people, to them being human. Right. And that's dead on. And it's also, and forgive me here because I'm I'm teaching a course in ethics right now. Mm -hmm. It is also that someone like McDonald would be supporting like the theory of Immanuel Kant in terms of ethics of the categorical imperative. And there is a specific formulation of the categorical imperative of Kant that is called the formula of humanity, which says, never treat another human being as a mere means to an end, Mm -hmm. but always as an end in themselves. And that's another way of talking about human beings as carrying the spark of the divine, the image of God. And Kant said that that is one of the fundamental underlying realities of human ethics. Mm -hmm. And when we once depart from that, we fall into some sort of ethic of consequentialism, where all we have are means and ends. And therefore, eventually, you get to the point which is what Hegel has brought us to, what Marx brings us to, what the woke world brings us to, that the end is all important. And the means, whatever they are, that get us to the end, we should embrace them. Yeah, yeah. And that is dangerous. But it is the world we live in. Right, right. Okay, so Watho has placed two human beings, we said, into sort of like Petri dishes, I said, but I'm not sure if I like that. And each one, we have to look at them in separate environments. We can't look at them together. They have to be looked at separately Mm -hmm. under the microscope, sort of. And um, they've basically been given the same variables, but according to their environments. For example, each had an instrument. What was their instrument? Photogen had his weapons. Nycteris had her piano. Is that what she had? I, I think, you think so. Because they said keys, and it that's the only keys. thing I could think of. Yeah. yeah. Each had nature. Photogen had the actual outdoors, while Nycteris had walls filled with nature. Because when she gets out, she starts comparing things to what the things she saw on the walls were. 
and that was her nature. And then each learned to read while Nycteris, I mean, she was, she learned how to read books, but, but Photogen learned how to read nature. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. But one of the points I made Mm -hmm. that I don't know how you responded to, but Nycteris taught herself to read. Right. And And Photogen taught himself to read nature. Right. Because you know what it's like. You went out and learned how to do all of that stuff when you were young. Right. Yeah, I did. I I spent a lot of time in the natural world trying to understand it clearly. And the American Indian. Yeah. And it is a a, a sort of reading for sure. It's it's a skill just as much. Both of them are a skill. Right. But but I mean, Mm -hmm. the point that I was trying to make there was that Watho was not trying to teach. In fact, she seemed to want to mm-hmm. not allow Nycteris to read, right. but Nycteris went around her mm-hmm. because the light that Watho gave her was inadequate on Watho's understanding right. for her to, to learn to read. Mm-hmm. And she never tried to have her learn to read, and in fact, probably would have been upset had, had she, she learned, known. had she known. And that's almost like the slaves in the United States, Mm -hmm. their owners did not want them to learn to read because that's like the ticket out of slavery. But that wasn't always the case because George Washington Carver, Booker T. Washington, their owners were very persistent in learning, them learning how to read and teaching them. There were a lot of them that made sure that they went to Sunday school and, and in their Sunday schools, they were learning to read. Okay. I don't know. I would have to study yeah. the history on that. I don't. Yeah, know. it was. It happened a lot of times. Actually, okay. they they took it upon themselves. The owners took it upon themselves to help them to read. Not all of them. I'm not yeah. saying, but it, it happened a lot. That would not be surprising yeah. to me because that, to me, would be the truly Christian right. owners right. saying, "Yeah, it is our responsibility to make sure that they can enhance right. their capacities as human beings and become members of the community of faith." Right. Okay, so another thing is they each had playthings. Nicteris had gymnastic things and toys. That's right. And Photogen had ponies, and then he outgrew his ponies and were given horses. Right. Anyway, so Watho only nurtured Photogen's body. It doesn't say that he read anything. I mean, I know you said he lived in his mother's apartment, basically, but it doesn't say anything about him reading. It said he was out all the time in the sun. I mean, it doesn't say he did any learning as in book learning. I mean, originally I thought he was educated, but he it doesn't really say anything about being educated. She, it says that Watho brought all her knowledge to bear on making his muscles strong and elastic and swiftly responsive. Right. And one of the things I found interesting about that particular section yeah. was it said that Watho, as you said, brought all of her knowledge to bear on yeah. making his body yeah. as perfect as possible so that in every part, it, the whole That would his be soul, there. she said laughingly, might sit in every fiber, yeah. be all in every part, and awake the moment of call. Right. So it's like the full immediacy of the action and the human being, the human soul, in his every action. Mm-hmm. I can't help but see almost a lack of self-awareness, consciousness mm-hmm. going on in him. So it's supposed to be almost an immediate presentation to the world, almost an empirical, purely yeah. empirical presence mm-hmm. as opposed to Well, later I'm going to touch on that because okay. there's something very interesting that happens I don't think you noticed later on. Okay. And I'll explain that. Okay. So at the same time, 
It says the little education she intended Nick Terrace to have, Watho gave her by word of mouth. So she did teach her, yes. but it was very little. But she did give her education by word of mouth, mm-hmm. not meaning she should have light enough to read by. To leave other reasons unmentioned, she never put a book in her hands. Nick Terrace, however, saw so much better than Watho imagined that the light she gave her was quite sufficient, and she managed to coax Falca into teaching her the letters, after which she taught herself to read, and Falca now and then brought her a child's book. I I did appreciate an awful lot what you had to say. I'll let you go on here. But you said... They both taught themselves. Yeah, that's things. what I was just going to okay. say. Yeah, and I, I thought, holy cow, you're right. Yeah, and I didn't really catch that parallelism. Yeah, they both learned the same way, despite the limited amount given to them. It's like yeah. they transcended what Watho was willing to right. give them. Both right. of them did. So Photogen learned without books or music or art, figuring out through nature firsthand. And Nycteris, she learned, you know, with the books, the art and the music. And when I say art, she saw the artwork on the wall. She played the music and she read, you know, read the books, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know. So both had a desire for more, too. Mm -hmm. You know, Nycteris wanted more space, something different, and Photogen. Right. And I think this is a point that you brought home to me, and I see it now clearly. Photogen wanted more. More room is how Nick Terrace said it. Right. Photogen would not have said to himself more room, but he definitely wanted more. He was always pushing the boundaries, as you said, and he wanted to continue to test his metal against right. everything. That can, and this is very masculine as opposed to, to Nick, Terrace. Nick Terrace is feminine. Right. That's true. She wanted to understand. She wanted to relate. He wanted to test his mettle against something new, something right. more powerful. It's yeah. like the animals that he was accustomed to were just now the status quo. Mm-hmm. And he wanted another challenge. And so that is the specifically male virtue that Photogen is manifesting. Mm-hmm. And he always wanted more than what was given to him, what was allowed to him. And therefore, when the darkness came up, it was fascinating right. to him because it was something he had not experienced and therefore wanted to experience. And again, that parallelism Which between... Which did it in her feminine way. Right. Between Nycteris and mm-hmm. Photogen. And this... I, I, I hesitate to say I missed it entirely. No, you didn't. I, I got some of it. You ignored but, it. But you... Yeah, and I ignored it for a reason. Wait, right? because you are... <laughs> because I wanted to promote... The feminine over the masculine, which is what we've been doing in the Western world for the last at least half century, probably long before that, even, right? The twisting of things and that's instead what, of properly that's balancing what I meant the when two. When I said you're feminized, I know, and because, I think you were right. Yeah, because we've always been taught in movies and songs yes. that yeah, the woman is the hero. Right. Yeah, and there is no hero in this story. I mean, it's not like it's one one or the other is no, a hero. No, you're right. It's yeah. the in fact if if there is a hero, it's what the I mean complementarity yeah, between the two. Not one part. or the other. Okay, so both exceeded their trainer's ability to contain them. Yeah. You know? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really clear. Yeah. And I actually didn't catch that until you just said it right yeah. now. Okay, and both experienced temptation because Nycteris, she was tempted to go out from her tomb, and Photogen was tempted to go into the tomb, into the darkness. Right. 
Yeah, that was another fascinating thing that I think we discovered in discussing this with one another, the opposing directions. It's like they're doing the same journey from opposing directions towards the center and meeting one another in the center and recognizing that the only way they're going to conquer the things that need conquering Mm -hmm. is joining their forces and being one. They kind of meet at twilight. Don't you think it's kind of like a twilight? And then they go past each other. Yep. Photogen goes deep into the darkness and Nycteris goes way out into the brightness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, by the very end. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, at the point of last week, we got stuck on me not knowing where I was going earlier in the thing. And now I recognize when it was yeah. because towards the end, maybe I should look it up, mm-hmm. but towards the end, it says that Nycteris was, it was nighttime and Nycteris and Photogen were fleeing Watho. And the sun was rising, and they met in the middle where the sun was just beginning to rise. Night was fading, day was coming in, and neither one was in their glory, mm-hmm. right? Nycteris's night had passed, Photogen's day had not yet come, and they were kind of equal at one point. Mm-hmm. But Photogen was on the rise, and she was on the descent. Mm-hmm. And that is a critical moment. There's like this merging of strengths where neither one is strong and they're both completely dependent upon one Mm -hmm. another. Exactly. But one is rising and the other is. And and that's exactly how our life is, you and I. Mm -hmm. There are moments when, you know, wow, I feel really good because I'm actually the one leading. I know that I'm leading and I'm feeling good about my leading. And then there's other times when I'm like, oh, what in the world do I do? Mm-hmm. And I have to depend on you, just like Nick Terrace and Photogen. And I have to depend on you. And I have to recognize that that's not weakness on mm-hmm. my part. That's actually a form of strength right. because I'm recognizing who I am right. and how much I need you in order to do that. And that is strength, right. just like it's strength for you. if feminine virtue is strength, if we want to call it that, when you're willing to depend on what I can do better. And so there is a tremendous beauty in that Mm -hmm. moment, I think. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So another thing is that both of them knew no fear because they, neither of them knew danger. You know, their, their environments were controlled. Neither of them really knew the danger. She didn't know the danger of going on to the light, but you know, which she perceived as danger, and he didn't know the danger of going into the dark. Mm-hmm. The, the way their lives were it was controlled. Mm-hmm. Do you think? What do you think of that? Yeah, the danger issue is interesting because Nick Terris, like when she's put out in the field by Watho, mm-hmm. is indeed terrified. When she faces the light, she is terrified. So she knows danger. I have something to say about that later. Okay. That and you, I don't think you've seen. Okay. It's interesting. And Photogen, it says in relation to his trainer Fargo, does know danger because he was at one point almost gored by, or, or he was damaged. He was cut right. by the tusk of a boar, and then he managed to kill the boar. So it wasn't that he didn't know danger, but he wasn't afraid. He wasn't a fear, a feared. Right. He wasn't he afraid, wasn't of, afraid of it. The only thing that seems to make either one afraid, Photogen or Nycteris, is the extremes of the position that they are strongest in. 
Mm-hmm. It's like when Nycteris is exposed to an extreme of light, mm-hmm. it terrifies her. Whereas when Photogen is in for what for him is the extreme of darkness, he's terrified. Mm-hmm. But together they learn between the interaction between the two of them to love the other person's mm-hmm. strength e- even more than they love their own. Right, right. And that is so true. Okay, and both of them experienced a lamp. Because Nycteris, you know, she was attracted to the lamp, mm-hmm. while Photogen ends up going away from the lamp. In fact, he calls it a level orb. Rather than saying the sun going down, he calls it a level orb, MacDonald mm-hmm. does. Flaming scimitar, edge. And mm-hmm. he says, it went out like a lamp when he talks about Photogen going into the darkness. Right. So he does give the idea of a, of a lamp, an orb, a you know, going out as a lamp. Yeah, that's um, another point that it, I found really interesting yeah, that you yeah, said to me, yeah. that they both had their lamp. Yeah, one goes away from it, one goes towards it. Photogen always knew that lamp all the time, so it was just commonplace for him. And he went away from it. Nycteris never knew it, and it was all new to her. Right. She know. kept ascending up. Right. And, and he, he came And there's down. an interesting part about that, too. So both transitioned, and Nycteris went into the light, Photogen went into the dark. Okay, so that's the falling thing is really interesting, because if you read when Photogen goes into the darkness, the words are, sinking sun, grow deeper, closing of lids, scarcely stand, he can't stand straight, mm-hmm. not the power to raise his bu- his bow, could not rouse courage. Everything's mm-hmm. going downwards. Mm-hmm. How fallen, how coward. Buffalo humped on the grass. There's mm. a buffalo humped on the grass. Right. Everything's down. Shot down the steep descent like a falling star. Mm. Trampling rush of the animals is all he could hear. It's just the trampling. Right. Boom. Everything trampling down. Right. The bottom of the valley. The moon peered like a horror of horrors coming down the sky. Plunged, he plunged into the waters. Yeah, that language fell, is really evocative of, yeah. of coming down, of, of the descent from right. the heights. Everything is down. Mm-hmm. But then when Nycteris, everything's upward. You have this firefly floating upwards. Upward, it says, upwards through the air, the light rose higher fell upon the ascending stair, mm-hmm. going up a curious sensation, reached the top, spreading out above and on all sides to an infinite height and oh, breadth so and good. distance, the moon above, mm-hmm. the globe above, sky studded with stars. Mm-hmm. So it's like one's going down. Yep. Everything, all the language is going down in that paragraph right. or that section. All the language is going up. Mm-hmm. And then they talk about the, um, remember at the beginning, Nycteris is living in, they said it was modeled after the pharaoh's the pharaoh's tomb. Tombs. Yep. And I looked up a pyramid on the web. Mm-hmm. And if you look, there's this chamber that's at the very bottom, and the only way you can go is upwards. Mm. And then as you get to the exit, there's the queen's tomb or the mm. queen's the queen's room. And you remember, she passes the area where Wather she right. says she doesn't want to go up that way. Yes, it's that's very much. Wow. Yeah, it's very much like like a pyramid. Mm. And then they, they, he mentions that. He know, does. Yeah, he mentions uh, the pyramid idea. Boy, if nothing else, as we've studied this, I have come to appreciate George MacDonald. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. The craftsmanship yeah. that went into this short piece. It is amazing. Yeah. So Nycteris, she opens the door. There's a wondering perplexity, awe and delight, mm-hmm. you know. And something outside of her or something taking place in her head. That's what she said. She yeah. said, 
that's her exact words. There was something outside of her or something taking place in her head. Photogen, it was a closing lids of an eye. Right. It's yeah. it's almost, as you said, it's the backward journey. Yeah. Yeah. He's at the height coming yeah. down. Right. She's at the bottom coming up. And he um, said, for Photogen, a terror and darkness rushed together. He knew them for one, no longer the man he had known or thought himself. He was but a spark of the sun. So and she was coming to know herself, and he was kind of not knowing who he was anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and this is part of the reason I found it so easy to fall into the the praise of the feminine mm-hmm. in this one because I look at the masculine and I think to myself, yeah, this is just a guy being a jerk. <laughs> but he wasn't being a jerk. He was Later not. on, you'll see he wasn't. You're right. What you think he was. Yeah, but still, it's not just that. It's that you're a man, so it's like. Yeah, it is easier for me because yeah. I tend to. Because you think that's the way I think. Exactly as the book ends, Mm -hmm. Photogen says to Nicteris, I have come to love the night Mm -hmm. because it is your realm. Right. And I have come to love what it is you bring so much that (laughs) I see it and I think, that's fantastic. And so that was certainly an element of why I fell into that. Yeah. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. But you were frustrated with me, I think, because I refuse to see, and I think I do this in real life too, I refuse to see the value of what I bring as a man. Yeah. So Nycteris is no longer in the place that she had always known, which was her tomb. And Photogen is no longer the place where he had always known, which was the man he had always been. They were both taken out of the place they've always lived. You know, she was so comfortable and so at home in her tomb, mm-hmm. and he was so comfortable and at home in his in him. Right, self-confident. Himself. Yeah. And all she had seen on the walls and all the books were becoming like a reality to her. And Photogen, all he had seen and known were becoming a terror. Yeah. Everything was a terror around him. Everything like during the day that he would hear and see, like the animals, they were that was fine. But at nighttime they were a terror to him. Yeah, it's almost like his reality mm-hmm. has been undermined. Right, right. And he can no longer see it as clearly representing his own strength and power and ability to master things. Yeah. Has fallen apart for him. Right, right. And so, again, you know, the things that she had learned from reading about the things, because she says, Why, I could count every blade of the green hair. I suppose it is what the books call grass. Mm-hmm. So she was being able to identify the things that she had she had known. She'd read about, yeah. Right. Okay, so then um so another thing is they he goes into the night and she goes into the day several times. I counted at least five times as she was and then if you count the time when Watho sticks her out into the day, that's six times. Okay. Photogen tried over and over again to learn and to conquer as he would always do, and he faced the night seven times, it says. That's right. Yeah. So they both faced it seven times? No, because she if you count the time that she goes out when Watho puts her out, that's the sixth time. Okay. He went seven times and then he escaped and that would be the eighth time. So okay. I don't know if there was another time. You'd have to count. I'm not that's sure. interesting because six, seven, and eight. Mm-hmm. It's like six days of God creating mm-hmm. and the seventh day he rested. Yeah, that's right. That was a Sabbath day. So the eighth day would kind of be the day where they come together. That's right. You're exactly right. Okay, so then the experiment that Watho's doing. So when Watho heard that Photogen was ill, she was angry, ill indeed, after all she had done to saturate him with the life of the system. 
with the solar might itself. He was a wretched failure, the boy, and because he was her failure, she was annoyed with him, began to dislike him, grew to hate him. She looked on him as a painter might upon a picture or a poet upon a poem, which he had only succeeded in getting into an irrevocable mess. So once Watho, as the scientist, realizes that the experiment has gone wrong, it's like throw away the the parts of the experiment. Right. So you no longer need to treat the subjects as having any value. Right. So I'm done with them. And that's what I think. It hasn't worked out. That's what it seems like is the wolf. And that's what I wonder if McDonald saw. Hmm. He saw science or that, that attitude in science as a wolf, a greedy well, wolf that destroys humans. And right. Yeah. I Well, I can't help but see like our woke culture that says, look, this isn't working out for me. I hate this. Mm-hmm. So let's just destroy it. Tear mm-hmm. it all down. Right. This is an evil system. It hasn't worked out for me. Right. What if McDonald's saw it back in saw this time it. in the science world? Right. And now it's trickled down to the rest of us. I, I think it is endemic to humanity. Mm-hmm. We have traced it in the Christian atheist yeah. all the way back <laughs> to the difference between the life of Cain and the and life Abel. of Abel. That's right. And of course, even all the way back to Satan himself in Paradise Lost and in the Bible. It's like that attitude of the world is either good. We accept it. God made it as good. And we accept that goodness and move forward in the faith that ultimately things are good. Or we say, no, I know better. And that's what Satan said. That's what Cain said. And if we know better, and this is, of course, Gnosticism, it's the very religion that is opposed to all of the Western Judeo-Christian ethic. What James Lindsay talks about. What James Lindsay talks about in this episode of New Discourses that I said was so important in the beginning of our podcast here today. So if we know better, then we should remake the world in our own Mm -hmm. image that we should be God. Right. And that is the fundamental position of sin that Satan created. And it's the position that Eve bought when she bought into the temptation, and that Adam accepted, I will be as God. I know better. I should make this choice. Rather than God forbid it, you know, but we don't accept what God says because that fundamental faith, we've let it go. The world is not good. And so when we do that, we put ourselves in God's seat, which is exactly what Hegel explicitly did and has been the point of what we've been trying to say throughout the Christian Atheist over the past three years, Mm -hmm. and that James Lindsay says so well in this latest podcast. Right. Okay, so Photogen realizes his mistake after he's been sick and and actually accustoming himself to the darkness because he tells them to keep making it darker and darker in his room. Do you remember that? So that he could become accustomed to it. He has them keep the room darker as the days go on. He makes I thought it, that was Watho's no, he, decision. He wanted to make it darker because he wanted to get more accustomed to the darkness. He was trying to overcome this darkness thing while he was sick, and he was he, he wanted it to be getting darker and darker as it went along. Okay. Okay, so he starts to think about um, Nycteris, and he says she might have taught him not to fear the night, for plainly she had no fear of, of it herself, but then... When the day came, she did seem frightened. Why was that? Seeing that there was nothing to be afraid of then, perhaps one so much at home in the darkness 
was correspondingly afraid of the light. Then his selfish joy at the rising of the sun, that's what made him neglect her. Mm-hmm. He was selfishly so happy that the sun was rising. But he felt good about himself again. Well, blinding him to her condition mm-hmm. had made him behave to her in ill return for her kindness as cruelly as Watho behaved to him. How sweet and dear and lovely she was. If there were wild beasts that came out only at night and were afraid of the light, why should there not be girls, too, made the same way, who could not endure the light as he could not bear the darkness? If only he could find her again, ah, how differently he would behave to her. But alas, perhaps the sun had killed her, melted her, burned her up, dried her up. That was it. She was the nymph of the river. Later, he says, I would not have behaved as I did last time if I had understood, but I thought you were mocking me, and I am so made that I cannot help being frightened at the darkness. I beg your pardon for leaving you as I did, for as I say, I did not understand. Now I believe you were really frightened, were you not? That was later then. Yeah, and that, I think, is the passage Mm -hmm. that proves that I was wrong in what I said last week about Nycteris being the only one that reasons and has wisdom. And I think you were right that wisdom is the combination of the two of them, and that both of them had to reason, but they had to reason together in order to come to understand true wisdom. Because it is the connection of the empirical world and the rational world together that produces wisdom. Because wisdom is really all about living practically in this world. That's what wisdom is. And there is no wisdom apart from the complementarity of male and female. Right, right. So later then, there's another glimpse into what maybe the wolf might be. It says that before long, Watho was plotting evil against her. The witch was like a sick child weary of his toy. She would pull her to pieces and see how she liked it. She would set her in the sun and see her die, like a jelly from the salt ocean cast out on a hot rock. It would be a sight to soothe her wolf pain, just to watch and observe and to see what happens. Yeah. The scientist who rejects the value of humans only views other humans as things to observe, to watch, right? And to experiment on. So possibly McDonald's time, the consequences of like the ideas of the time, like where humans were being devalued now, they're not anything special. Watho watched it all, it says, from the top of her high tower. When I say she watched it all, she she took Nycteris, put her out into the sun. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she sat on top of her high tower through a telescope, observed what each creature would do to her. And I added to her, mm-hmm. none did what she knew them to do. Now she'll be trodden to death, said Watho. That's the way those creatures do. And because none of the creatures acted according to science, what she, you know, what she thought they should do. And no creature hurt her. Watho got angry. And it says, But no creature hurt her, and Watho was angry with the whole creation. The whole of creation. Exactly. And that reminds us, of course, of what Marx Mm -hmm. said, picking up on Goethe. Right. Right. All that exists deserves to perish. Mm -hmm. And that is, again, the way of Cain that we talked about. Right. This world is twisted. It's wrong because it's not acting according to what the way I think it should. Or and that's that, science, too. that science says. Right. Right. 
Because at that point, false science, pseudoscience. Right. But even at that point, something happens that the animals didn't do to her what they should have done. And it made her angry. Yes. Due to Nycteris, what they should have done. Right. She thought that they should have killed her. What she's always known them to do. Yeah. But she doesn't understand the natural world like Mm -hmm. she thinks she does. Right. Right. Okay. Eventually, Nycteris forgave Photogen before he even asked her to. Yes. You know? And you know what? Grace. Photogen understood Nycteris before she even got a chance to explain herself to him. Yes. He started figuring it out before she even had the chance to say... That's right. She didn't need to explain it. He figured it out out based on the reasoning. Yeah. Just like Nycteris did for so many other things in the course of this story. Right. So this is the thing I was saying we're going to come to eventually that you talked about earlier. Now, Photogen, the dark affects him mentally and causes him a mental fear. Mm -hmm. It It never speaks of affecting his body. He can still walk and function just like anybody else. He can run away. He can do all of that stuff. But on the other hand, with Nycteris, the light affects her physically, causing her to literally be unable to move. Hmm. And she talks of it stinging her, of burning her, and headaches. You know, her eyes are humongous, so much, you know, bigger than right. what much more and the sun would come in. And her skin has never been exposed to light. Right. You know, and so the light affects her physically. And she says, oh me, she sighed, I'm so frightened. The terrible light stings so. What'd she call it? The death, the death lamp? Yeah. I can't remember exactly, but at the same instant, through her blindness, she heard Photogen give a low, exultant laugh. This is when the sun comes up and all night she had been guiding him through the darkness. Then the sun comes up And she starts to feel it in her body, physically. Mm -hmm. In that same instant, through her blindness, she heard Photogen give a low, exultant laugh, and the next felt herself caught up. She, who all night long had tended and protected him like a child, was now in his arms, borne along like a baby, with her head lying on his shoulder. Mm. But she was the greater for suffering more. She feared nothing. I think she was greater because since she suffered literally physically and she needed to be carried, protected, and comforted, Mm -hmm. she didn't have to fear because she was in the arms of this man. Mm -hmm. So she was in the better position than he had been the night before because he had to face the dark nearly alone. I mean, all she could hear was her voice. Mm. And at times, her voice was leading him. At times, he had to strain just to see her through the dark. He said, oh, do not leave me, not for a moment, cried Photogen, straining his eyes to keep her face in sight through the darkness. Hmm. So I think that's why her suffering put her in a better position, because she could be born in his arms, while his suffering was a lesser position because he had to be walking by himself. He, he felt more alone than she felt alone. Yeah, this passage. Do you understand what I'm saying? Absolutely. And, and I can't, I've not been able to put it into I words. I think it's male and female. I do. I think that's what it is. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. And I think that this passage is incredibly powerful. And I could not have put into words why, but it almost moved me to tears every time I read it. Yeah. And I think from some of the things that you've talked about with me, like when I hold you in my arms, mm-hmm. when you have my body, which is hard compared mm-hmm. to a female body, 
you seem to take in that some sort of amazing comfort and a sense of being protected mm-hmm. that I don't have. I mean, I, I don't have that sense from you. What I get from you is much more like what he talked about here, what this passage represents, that you allow me to find comfort in the face of the things that are troubling to me, the problems that I have. You're comforting. You need the voice and you need to see see the face. Yeah, and that allows me to move through the darkness. Mm -hmm. Whereas when the problems are direct and powerful and coming right against us, it's like the extra strength of the male sustains you. Right, exactly. And it's in two very different ways. And I still don't, I still can't put them all, you've done a better job with it than I have. I still can't put them both in their proper perspectives. Mm-hmm. But when I read this passage, it absolutely moves me to tears. Right, right. Yeah, so so like I said, I think her suffering is physical. Mm-hmm. And so he, being able to be completely comforted in his arms makes her suffering greater than his suffering. Right. And the the psychological literature here is what we talked about last time, that women are more, the term is neurotic. That is, they're more sensitive to negative emotion than males are. That's one of the fundamental differences between the sexes. And that's one of the great things about the distinction between us. Because as we read this passage, when Photogen comes into his power, Mm-hmm. He picks her up and carries her, mm-hmm. and she needs that at that mm-hmm. time. And yet, while he's carrying her, she smells Watho right. in the distance right. and warns him about the danger that's coming. And, and he is able to respond moment, to it and protect both of them. And at that moment, they're one. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. is just astounding to right. me. I think that right. is so beautiful and so incredibly important. A moment in this story. Right. And I love it. Right. And he makes her not afraid. He he says, I've killed it, Nick Terris. Yeah, the confidence, <laughs> the confidence she brings. Mm-hmm. I was not afraid, she mm-hmm. says. Mm-hmm. I was good. I was just gonna say, Yeah. It is a great red wolf. Oh, thank you, answered Nick Terris feebly from behind the tree. I was sure you would. I was not a bit afraid. <laughs> That's amazing to mm-hmm. me. <laughs> I would love to have to be that for you. Well, I say that, that all the time. That you are not afraid because my strength will protect you. <laughs> it's not afraid so much as it's, t- I say that to you all the time. You do I say, say it to me all I the say, time. I say, oh, I know you'll be able to take care of it. Yeah. It, it astounds me that you say it. You say things to me like, you always do the right thing. <laughs> oh, I sure don't feel like I always do the right thing. <laughs> but that you feel that is absolutely incredible. Oh, yeah, I get amazed by you. Yeah, I'm amazed by you. <laughs> now, the one part I've come I... to really depend on oh. your judgment on things. The one thing I don't understand is this line. The foolish witch had made herself invulnerable, as she supposed, but had forgotten that to torment Photogen therewith, she had handled one of his arrows. Right. I know she was playing with the arrow and causing him to bleed, right. and but what did that have to do with the arrow not penetrating her the idea here is an ancient one okay about the nature of magic and of witches it's like that idea that her magic has made her invulnerable to anything that could come to her but she compromised that unthinkingly by touching one of the weapons okay 
and therefore making herself vulnerable to it. So this is this is actually the moment when, and I'm trying to think of the actual Greek myth here. Okay, so it's worthwhile to spend a second reading from Wikipedia about mm-hmm. the Achilles heel phenomenon. Right. In Greek mythology, when Achilles was an infant, it was foretold that he would perish at a young age. To prevent his death, his mother Thetis, who was a goddess or a demigod, a demigoddess, mm-hmm. took Achilles to the river Styx, which was supposed to offer powers of invulnerability. She dipped his body into the water, but because she held him by his heel, it was not touched by the water of the river. Achilles grew up to be a man of war who survived many great battles. But eventually, what was the downfall of Achilles is that he was hit in the heel with an arrow, and that was the one place on his body that was not invulnerable. Mm -hmm. So the idea here is that the witch who made herself invulnerable by her magic, which we can say is the science or whatever, okay, yeah, she violated that by messing around with one of his arrows mm-hmm. and made herself vulnerable to that particular arrow with I which see. she tormented Photogen. When he was sick. Right. right. And that's why the first arrow that Photogen shot, which was not the arrow that Watho had handled, her. broke when he shot it at her. It didn't hurt didn't her. But the second one, because it was the arrow that she had messed with him with, tortured him with, mm-hmm. she had lost her invulnerability to that arrow because she used it as an element of torture. Yeah. And therefore, when it hit her, it killed her. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Now I understand. Couldn't figure that one out. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. So that's it for the week. Do you have anything else to say, John? This was immense fun yeah, for me. Fun. I didn't feel, it's like I went into it thinking, okay, I'm just going to have to respond rather than try to carry the load. And you did a tremendous job carrying oh, it. It was a lot you. of fun for me. Yeah, you didn't even get in trouble <laughs> for for being mean to me last yes. week. <laughs> I'm sorry if I was ever you were, mean to you. You were never mean. I'm just teasing with you. <laughs> okay. Okay, so that's it for this week. And the link to read Dayboy Night Girl is in the description. And if you don't have time to read it, like we said, and you would rather listen to it while you're walking your dog or while you're driving to work or school, John does a great job reading it on our YouTube channel, which is also in the description. And next Monday on The Christian Atheist, we'll be playing another part of the Paul S. Chung interview with John. And Paul is from the What Do You Mean God Speaks podcast. Yes. Highly recommended. Yep. And this was John's first interview that he conducted. But there's going to be more in the future. If you're interested in knowing more about The Christian Atheist, why not check out the link to John's book in the description, Through the Looking Glass, The Implosion of an Atheist Professor's Worldview. And as always, if you have the means, why not buy us a cup of coffee? There's a link to that in the description as well. And thank you so much for taking the time to listen to us. We appreciate you so much, and we hope you have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you next week. I love you, my Nick Terrace. <laughs> I love you, my photo Jim. We'll have to get that tattooed on our hands. Yeah, now. maybe that's next, huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay. See you, everyone. Bye bye. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. 
I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.